Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast where we'll uncover the timeless investment principles so you can escape the rat race, earn passive income and create lasting wealth. I'm Pete Wargent, investor and financial coach and I'm joined by Stephen Moriarty, private investor and the co-author of our new book, Low Rates High Returns. In each episode of this podcast, we talk about the crucial concepts around managing your own money, how to invest, when to invest and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast. I'm Pete Wargent. I'm here with Stephen Moriarty, as always. Welcome, Steve. Mm, cheers. Morning, afternoon, whichever one we're in again. Gets, lost, me, gets, were, me, every, gets me every time, that one. You were lost for words there. Evening. Unlike you. Uh, well, um, so today I thought we'd let's uh, stir the pot a little bit and talk about, uh, yes, you can time the market, which always seems to be... Of course you can. ...a subject which uh, generates heated debate, um, and it, it's quite a polarising uh, opinion, and yet um, I think a lot of this comes down to time frames. I think if you, if people are looking at the market week to week or month to month, it seems to be almost random. Uh, but if you zoom out and take a, a sort of a ten-year view, then uh, becomes a lot clearer. So, uh, yeah. so the, this the uh, subject. Yes, you can time the market. Was actually the name of a book, Stein and Demuth, um, some years ago, mm. and. Um, I think it's it's been a contentious issue because the rise of what they call uh, bogleheads and index investing uh, built around the efficient markets uh, thesis that you can't really, or hypothesis that you can't, uh, there's no edge to be found anywhere, yeah. so you just buy and hold. So that's what we're going to talk about today, Steve. So a subject close to your heart. Absolutely. Timing is everything in my book, and I still think I'm right about it. If you have a look at studies there's momentum and there's mean reversion, right? and there's two time frames, and there's patterns, as I teach people in our program, there's patterns in the market that you can exploit. Now, it doesn't mean you have to, but what the point being that the efficient market hypothesis, which is the general buy and hold philosophy, says, like you said, there's no edge. And it's like, uh, sorry, there is. There's plenty of edges. And even what, hap- what happened when the, these you know edges were found was that the efficient market then said, oh, there's a weak version and a, a strong version, um, which is a really weak argument in my book. I really think timing's important. Um, you mentioned that book, Yes, You Can Time the Market. There's another really good book called Value Averaging, um, which is lesser known, written a long time ago, but it's the same idea. And it's simply working out that Timing is really important. And if you if you sort of take a step back, it's not even timing. It's simply saying there's really good times to invest in the stock market when it's cheap. There's really bad times to invest in the stock market when it's expensive. The, and that's all you need to know. The problem is you get this idea of perfection where people say, oh, you know, if the market climbs 10%, you're missing, you're missing out on returns. If you look at stock market history, the market always falls a great deal back to where it was, you know, two or three years ago. I mean, you and I talk about this all the time and say, you know, the FTSE 
is back to where it was in 2000. Tell me about it, because we've actually got um, a couple of index funds there, FTSE <laughs> trackers, and yeah, I mean, the, and the, the thing is as well, if you buy at the peak of the market, the, the dividend yield was yeah. awful. So strip out the inflation, the money we invested in the late 90s and early 2000s has actually done nothing. Yeah. Um, now, yes, the market subsequently became cheaper. The dollars invested at that point have done pretty well. But that's, uh, but that's the point. You know, like people, the excuse is, oh, well, you know, yeah, but if you keep feeding it in, you'll be all right. And my argument is, well, hang on, that that doesn't make sense. Because if I said to you, Pete, at the moment I'll offer you 1%, but listen, mate, go all in. And then I come back three years later and say, look, you lost 50%, but the good news is I'll give you 11%. You're going, Steve, I just lost half my money and now you want me to put more in. I mean, quite legitimately, people would go, well, what am I paying you for? If all Just teach me how to buy, because then if it's a buy and hold, I'll just do it myself. It's almost a different way of looking at a stock market, because you, you often see those graphs that go from bottom left to top right, yeah. starting in the cherry 1880. And so, well, if you'd, if you'd have just bought and held over that period, the market has gone up. But the thing is there, uh, we have been through some periods of very high inflation over that time. Yep. And I think uh, if you're... A, a better and a different way to look at it is actually just to look at market valuations. Absolutely. Instead of looking at the market as going as something which is going somewhere, yep. it's effectively becoming cheap and then becoming expensive and then yep. becoming cheap again. And obviously the goal is to uh, invest more when the market is under its long run average yep. and when you, the market is very expensive, peeling off. Yeah. It, and again, it, it gets back, it, you know, it, you just have to work through it with a matter of logic um, because... Again, if you know that dividend yields are the biggest portion of stock returns, well, you want to get a really good dividend yield. And this is why I say to people, you know, this incessant talk about where's the market today? You know, oh, it's 10 points higher. Yay. Oh, the market's 50 points lower. Oh, my God, that's miserable. You know, you look at that over a period of time. And what you've got to say is you only get the capital gain if you sell. Otherwise, the, that part of it is not really relevant. And so then if you say, okay, well, let's focus on dividend yield. Okay, when's the dividend yield really good? Oh, when the market crashes. Oh, so I should buy then. Yes. Now, when's the dividend yield really bad? When the market's at the top. So what should I do then? Oh, you should just hold. It's like, well, hang on. Wouldn't I be better off selling, taking the capital gain, and then reinvesting that when the dividend yield becomes good again. Yeah, that's a fascinating point, actually. And this, I've never really um, wrapped my head around this. When people say, well, you just buy and hold. Ah, the market's up 25% and you've missed out. So, well, hang on, if, if you're not selling, I don't see, it, it's almost like, well, you're not actually locking in. The yeah. <laughs> and your dividend yield is worse. Well, or your yeah. earnings yield is worse. You think about it because at a dollar, if you're getting 10%, at $2, you're getting 5%. Now, yeah, earnings will grow and all of that sort of stuff. But the reality is there's still boundaries of how expensive and how cheap things can get. We know there's bull and bear markets. And the other thing I think that is really dangerous, again, with this talk is you think about fund managers, right? They all say, how do you beat the market? You pick stocks, right? You've got to pick stocks and you've got to, you know, weight them and stuff. Okay. Then what do you hear every week? Every week you hear them describe the market. And what, what I mean by that is it's a bit like, hang on, guys, 
you can't tell people it's about stocks and then always talk about the market level. Because if you look, what you often find is, and, and even as recently as, you know, 2020, a lot of the fund managers suffered huge declines when the whole market declined. It didn't matter what bloody stock you had. You know, you got smashed like everybody else. And so that point is where I sort of say to people, well, you know, that's what, if they're going to talk about individual stocks, talk about individual stocks. But you can't talk about, the, the trick is picking good stocks, but then you're going to talk about the whole stock market. And it's like, well, that's not the way it works. You can't, it doesn't make any sense to me to do that and then not talk about timing. So they were looking at, obviously, uh, focusing on numbers instead of stories. That was a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. Indications of value. They were, they were looking at a number of alternatives to price earnings ratios, which can be notoriously slippery yep. and quite volatile through the cycle. Um, so I guess there were a number of points that they were making. That, that book was more, um, I think, focused on the accumulation of stocks rather than buying and selling from memory. Uh, but there was certainly there was definitely a focus on value, yeah, yeah, and looking at different metrics for identifying value. You know, it just makes sense. We've got 180 years or 200 years of stock market history and cycles, and as I said, when I show people the stock market cycles, it's pretty obvious. You know, as the Cape ratio is shown, when it's high like it is now, ding dong warning you know, you'd need to be a lot more prudent. Now, I don't, I don't say to people, oh, you've got to be completely out of the stock market. But if I said to you, look, Pete, I'm going to offer you half a percent. And historically, Pete, you're going to lose a huge chunk of your capital. You'd probably say to me, Steve, why have I got all my money invested in the stock market? Oh, Pete, because you can't time the market. It's like, okay, but it looks really expensive. And the flip side is when it's cheap, you know, Now's a really good time to put money into the stock market. Why would you, and I demonstrate this with people to say, <clears throat> with your superannuation, if you put in um, every month, you know, you put a thousand bucks in super. So you put 12,000 over the year. If I came to you in January and said, this month I'm offering 11, what you'd want to do is say, well, geez, um, what I'll do is I'm going to put the whole year's allocation in now, or, you know, 80% of it. If I came back to you in December and said, now I'm only offering you one, well, why would you bother investing if you know there's going to be another great cycle come where you get a better opportunity? So again, you know, even people like Warren Buffett talk about index funds and, you know, just buy an index fund and forget it. Warren Buffett is a market timer. You know, he does it in his personal portfolio and he does it with Berkshire Hathaway. So, you know, if it's good enough for the world's greatest investor, it's probably pretty good for, you know, the rest of us. Some of this comes down to timeframes when people are talking about, you know, yes, you can time the market. No, you can't. I mean, if you're a stock trader, a day trader, or you're investing with a time frame of a week or so, then daily market moves and weekly market moves obviously have a great deal of relevance yep. to you. If you're actually an investor in inverted commas, somebody who's looking to invest for the long term or... You know, weekly and monthly moves don't really have a whole lot of relevance. It's much more about, uh, you know, just the market level and the expected return. Yeah, the, um, the thing I say about signal and noise is that, you know, people often say, oh, you know, you ignore the noise. Yes, to a point, because as we know in the stock market, the noise accumulates and 
the noise at the bottom of the market is a lot different to the noise at the top of the market. And as you can see currently, you know, you've got all of the signals going off about, you know, young guys buying Robinhood accounts, you know, bankrupt companies going up 200% in a week, you know, the CAPE ratio is high, the earnings are awful, no one's paying attention to the economy, it's all about the price of the stock market. There's this incessant talk about, you know, what happened in the stock market today. All of those are hallmarks of a bubble or a stock market that's really expensive. And so it just doesn't make any sense in my mind to say, oh, well, I've made, you know, I've made 350% over the last 10 years. And what I'll do is I'll just keep, I'll just keep plunging in, right? It's like saying, sorry, it's like saying every time you bet, and this is the, the way I talk to people about it, every time I deal you a hand of cards, you're going to buy and hold, okay? So if you win, guess what? No, 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 you can't take any money off the table, right? I'm just going to do, oh, you lost, oh, you lost all your money. Well, there you go. That's the whole idea. If you were winning a dozen hands in a row, you would say, listen, Steve, I might just take a bit off the table because I'm pretty sure you're going to deal me a crappy card soon and therefore I don't want to lose my money. But that's what's going on in the stock market. You have a really good run and instead of saying, dear Bob, the earnings yield now is below the average and you're probably going to lose some money. Might be prudent to take a few bucks off the table. There will be opportunities in the future where you'll get to invest again at a good dividend or at a good rate. Park your money in cash and wait till it comes along. Yeah, it's interesting. So um, when I used to go to the, the dog racing at Romford on a Friday night in Essex, if you, had, if you won on the first two races... And you won, say, fifty pounds. I mean, that would be enough to pay for the whole of the night out, you know. <laughs> but you wouldn't take the fifty pounds and then go to race three, right? Let's stick up, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, you've had a you've had a good run. You're probably going to run out of luck because it was luck on the uh, the greyhounds. And I think um, a really fascinating thing about market sentiment is, um, and as we know, the the U.S. market is. Um, is the main driver of global markets yeah. these days. The correlation has become ever greater, really, Absolutely. over the past 20 years. The yep. US just drives everything else. Um, so the S&P 500 has gone from uh, the market low of, what, 666, 666 I think. to 3,300. Damn. And people are like, oh, it's never going to go down, though. Yeah. Like Long term, you know, it's good, solid returns. It's like... It's amazing how at the bottom of the market, people were saying, oh, this is a terrible time for stocks. And yeah. of course, you know, that was actually the best time over the past... 12% per annum years later. <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, you, you get, um, I guess, 11, 12 years of, um, of positive returns. And now nobody, you know, you say that, look, now's the time to peel some off. And people yeah. are like, no, no, don't be silly. This is a... I could miss out on some returns. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating uh, concept. Um, so, I mean, and rebalancing is essentially a form of market timing, yeah, a, yeah. as is, for that matter, dollar cost averaging. So, and all um, the funds do it. Yeah, so they uh, rebalance your portfolio because they've got you know weights and stuff like that that they got to comply to. So, you know, it's not as if they're buying. And and as I said, why the hell would you pay someone if they said, yeah, buy this and see you in forty years? It's like, well, what am I paying you one percent for? Oh, you know, because I know how to manage it. You know, mm. I, so, I, I think that's a bit cheeky, to be quite honest. Yeah, so you mentioned the Robin Hood accounts there, which is a fascinating thing because, it, to me, that's another echo of the tech bubble because the, um, the, there was a period of time there uh, in the, during that the tech wreck 
uh, before um, the shit hit the fan, essentially, is that people are essentially just buying stock names yeah. on the assumption that hopefully they could flip them to somebody stuff. else, a sort of greater fall theory. And in, in the last uh, couple of years, um, uh, new technology has been a big theme. So that in itself has had a, an accord with the tech wreck. Uh, but in recent uh, weeks, we've seen stories of, uh, so I've actually got a long-term uh, rental car from Hertz, which has uh, actually become bankrupt. <laughs> so I'm, I'm wondering. Get to keep the car. And well, don't. Uh, maybe I shouldn't put this on a podcast. <laughs> I was thinking maybe if oh, I. Oh, Davis, sorry. If, <laughs> if I keep my head down for a, a few months, maybe they'll forget about it. So I, I used to. Um, my dad used to work in corrective services, as I mentioned previously, and uh, obviously. A lot of people who went on to probation or live in halfway houses, you know, ex-cons. And uh, I remember there was one guy who's a friend of my dad who uh, he had uh, a lot of his stuff was from Radio Rentals, which is a UK company back in the day. And he had a TV and a radio, oh, yeah, another, yeah. which um, uh, from memory, it, it, it either became defunct or went under. And he, he just never took any of the stuff back. <laughs> so I'm wondering whether my uh, Mitsubishi uh, 4x4 might uh, turn up to repossess di- disappear into the ether. But yeah, so one of the stories in recent weeks, and uh, these are timeless podcasts, we don't focus too much on the day to day, but it's been really interesting to see that bankrupt companies have become a real trading uh, hotspot because people are thinking, well, you know, if I can buy this company for one dollar and it goes to three, that's a big return yeah. without thinking about the other side of that, which yeah. is this is quite. If it goes, to, if it goes to, from one dollar to one cent, <laughs> or if it goes to zero, that's the end of the game. But this, uh, to me, that has an that's another echo of the tech wreck. I'm naturally inclined to be future oriented, um, and I'm what's well, never that much of a sort of history buff. Um, but once I started reading about the reason why I started reading about history was because you could understand that the patterns that happen and why that's so important is because you what you know the the idea and I think I might have talked about this in earlier podcasts but the idea is that we're all these separate individuals who don't get influenced by anybody else and the reality is that's a complete tripe the fact is we do influence each other and so therefore you get market movements in and out of markets or fads like, you know, hair or um, earrings or clothing, all of that stuff. And so that, when you look back at history, there's always patterns. And so if you read um, Robert Schiller's book, Irrational Exuberance, you know, he talks exactly about what you're talking about, about tech stuff. And again, You've got now you've got AI and Uber and, you know, we're all going to be working three days a week or this sort of stuff. And it's exactly what went on in 2000. You know, in 2000, we were all going to be online and shopping centres were going to die. And, you know, now we're doing it again because of COVID. Now, it might be different. I don't know. But the, the, the point being that these themes become popular and once the sort of the the inex, it's the inexperienced people who get in late on the cycle. Yeah, know? so I think that's one of the key things, isn't it? That in a in that phase three of the cycle, the general public come in and stock yeah. traders are lured into the market on the promise of quick profits. Yeah, and that's something you just don't see it at the bottom of the market because well, it, nobody's it, interested in stocks because they've had yeah, a rubbish couple of years. Well, the Nasdaq is up four hundred and fifty percent since two thousand and nine. Now people have decided they want to buy tech stocks. It's like, oh, come on, please. You know, the, mo- the money's been made. And again, if you look at market cycles, 
usually bull markets are about three to four to five hundred percent. Well, we are right in the zone. We've got a CAPE ratio that's high. You know, most macro indicators will tell you the market's overvalued. And so it's, it just seems incongruous to me to have an industry go, you can't time the market, but the market's high. Yeah, but we don't know why. And it's like, well, what? Is it going to go to infinity? Because if it's going to go to infinity, well, why would you, why would you ever sell if the price is just going to keep going up? It doesn't even make any sense based on market history or its own argument, you know, of buy and hold. Well, someone, you know, you've got to sell at some stage. Um, so, it just I doesn't mean, make sense. So earnings forecasts, um, the last latest round seem to point towards an earnings decline of maybe 40 to 43%. Yep. And I mean, to, to my mind, there's never been a recession where valuations have stayed so high. Now, a lot of people are saying this time is different because the Fed is backstopping zombie companies. Yeah. You know, maybe a fifth of companies in the US are in a state of a zombie-like state where the, the cost of servicing the debt is essentially exceeding but earnings. But that just stops companies going broke. It doesn't mean they'll actually make money. Yeah, so you I know, think this is one of the things. I mean, the market could certainly stay at a levitated uh, valuation, yeah. but the, the returns are still not going to be there. That's the thing. It's yep. not, um, you know, the market's not suddenly going to shoot to infinity, that's especially why, based on earnings, which are wrecked. <laughs> that's why I say, you know, you look at the FTSE or even the Australian index, um, you look at any index, you know, Thailand, Turkey, wherever you want to look, there are cycles and good times when it's better to invest. And again, if, if you look at rebalancing and market timing, that's actually a long-term tool. And the, the, the sort of association is, oh, if you time the market, you're doing it short term. No, no, no. That market timing is actually a long-term tool. If you said, well, now I'll give you 10 and, you know, come back in 10 years and I'll give you one. That's a timing tool, you know, because as you know, you don't go from a 10%, you know, yield to a 1% yield in 12 months. This is the problem that I have with the idea of, you know, you buy and hold. The theory itself is flawed. Most people or, you know, most people who research it understand that it's flawed, but we still keep trying to flog it as a model about the way that people should invest. And it's it's incorrect and it does people damage. Yeah, so there's two different views. And the one is that, well, if you're young, then you've got a long time frame and therefore you should just buy and never sell. Because, yeah, who cares if you lose 50% because markets, like I do. Because markets may be higher far into the future. I mean, there, there are a few, you know, there are, there are stuff with Japan is the, the example that everybody always quotes of a market yeah. that may not return to a, a previous peak. Um, but I suppose the alternative view is, well, if you've got a long time frame, then why not wait for a better opportunity? Because it's not like you're never going to get an opportunity. That's... The cycles come around, you know, was, you know, there was the tech wreck, then there was the GFC, yeah. and you know, they come around you know, every seven At to a fairly years. regular basis. Why? Because it's based on, you know, the way people respond and react in markets. And, you know, we're all pretty predictable. That's the, that I think is one of the, in, in some senses, I think it's fine, but some people feel uncomfortable because we're predictable. But I, I think, you know, a lot of the complaints about social media and stuff is that my point is they actually, the the shocking part of those sort of, ads that they target you with is that it actually works, right? Why? Because you're predictable. You know, if you like 
Led Zeppelin or, you know, some band and they say, here, if you like them, you might like these people. And you go, wow, these people are really good. Guess what? They just predicted it. Why? Because they know what type of music you like. Well, yeah, they're not going to send, you know, you bought Led Zeppelin, which is an old rock band. Um, Oh, here's some classical music. You might like that. It's like, uh, no, there's probably a higher probability if they sent you a modern day rock band and said, if you like them, you'll like this band. It's like, ah, okay. And that's where, again, markets are not, markets are abstract. You know, it's just you and me trading. And if we're predictable, then there's some, you know, sense of rhythm to that. And so I don't see that, I don't see that being controversial at all. Um, You know, whereas I think if you haven't studied it, it might seem controversial, but it's controversial because you haven't studied market history because as I said, if I show people the chart of market history, they sort of go, well, you should have bought here and sold here. Yep. Oh, okay. If only there was a signal. Funny you should mention that, you know, there's a thing called the Cape ratio or, you know, the dividend yield, the earnings yield, the mean reversion, you know, blah, blah, blah. And people go, oh, okay, well, that's pretty easy. It is pretty easy. Yeah, so Stein and DeMuth would say a bit like baseball, you know, and you don't have to use the Cape ratio. There are any number of indicators you can yeah, use yeah. for value, but follow the statistics, <laughs> not the stories. Um, so there All is the a, ones who make lots of money are market timers. True. Whether you're a technical analyst, right, if you, you know, if you use moving averages or people like Warren Buffett, Jeremy Grantham, you know, Howard Marks, uh, Jim Chanos, all the billionaire investors, uh, Sam Zell in real estate, you know, they all make money out of timing markets about when to buy. Because if you didn't, well, it just doesn't make any sense to say, oh, it doesn't matter what the price is, just buy. It's like, yeah, I mean, I I think there's this narrative that sprung up in 2020 that Uh, Well, markets are just going to look across the valley to when earnings recover. Now, there is this phrase that the stock market is not the economy, and that is true up to a point. Mm. But on the other hand, uh, markets can't just ignore earnings forever. And, um, you know, I just look at the Australian economy and the concept of a V-shaped recovery. When you actually think about the structure of our economy, um, it's been built on construction for the past, um, well, since the early years of the resources boom. We handed off into... um, a residential construction boom and a, pop, a population boom. Now, all of those things have been ripped away <laughs> this year. And so that's a million people in, employed in construction. It's like 10% of the employed labour force. Yep. Um, so you that's think- an enormous hole blown in demand. Uh, low interest rates are not positive for bank profits. I know people say, well, low interest rates should maybe encourage higher stock market valuations. But Australia's market is actually largely comprised of banks and financials. Yep. And if um, you know if mortgage rates are at two point zero nine percent, well, there's not much in there for the banks. So, I think um, yeah, the the concept of earnings just rebounding next year or the year after. I mean, I think it could be a long haul before we see yeah. earnings actually recovering. You, well, you look at the Americans. You look at the American stock market. Right. It's at an all time high, and they got twenty five to thirty million unemployed. They've got probably. God knows how many people lined up at food banks, right, who, who can't even feed themselves on a daily basis. And yet you've got, you know, you've got a stock market at all-time highs. I mean, honestly, you've got to look at that and go, oh, come on. You know, that, that is so disconnected from reality. And 17% of companies are zombie companies. Yeah, and it's, it's like... just, you know, and there's a, you know, call it what you want, but I reckon it's a civil war going on with the internal population. They're having a trade argument with China. Um, you know, you keep, you look at all those things and go, 
do you think the market would be low or high? Oh, definitely killing it. You know, I mean, come on. It's, it's, that's just Wall Street and financial types in there on a short-term basis. Yeah, looking at what happened. Like bloody crazy. Looking at what happened over the past month or two months and saying, oh, yeah, but the market's higher because <laughs> the Fed or low interest rates. Instead of saying, well, in every well, other. I picked the bottom. Remember, I picked the bottom. On March 23. <laughs> I got the bottom. I was there. Yeah, but it, I, I guess it's just the risk reward ratio from, from these levels. And you've got a, you know, a cape at 29 and you're in the midst of uh, 15% unemployment, probably more like 25% Absolutely. unemployment. And there's a lot of downside risk. Anyway, so uh, today we've been in the spirit of Stein and DeMuth, been talking about, yes, you can time the market, um, but it's, it really comes down to just a, a different matter of perspective and it's different timeframes. Yeah. You know, a lot of people would say, well, if you've got a long time frame, just buy at any price and just hold. Our view, a different perspective is really, well, if you've got a long time frame, then why not just wait for a better opportunity? Pay attention. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and also just um, try and steer clear of those drawdowns because yeah. as we know, uh, if the market drops, um, you know, 30, 40 percent, you've got to work extra hard just yeah. to get back to where you started. And if you lose 50 percent, well, you've got to double your money just to get back to where you started. And that's the really important part. Absolutely. And it's the way numbers work. Yeah. And not to labour a point that we made in earlier podcasts, but the geometric return is what you get, not the average return. Right, that's it for today. So thanks for joining. Um, next time around, we'll be talking about giving up the day job and how much is enough. Uh, so thanks for joining today and we'll see you next week. See Cheers. you next week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy the things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances Stephen and i are both on linkedin and twitter so do reach out and connect with us and finally it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review it really helps others to find the show now take care and invest wisely cheers cheers